Kendra Tombolato, here with Mei Zhang, and this is the China Travel Podcast by Wild China Travel. Each week, we'll be heading to a new place in China to share our top local tips and tricks, highlighting our favorite food, hotels, and experiences, as well as sharing resources. If you're joining or catching up on past episodes, we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. And lastly, if you're interested in traveling China with us or attending any of our other virtual events, please visit our website at wildchina.com. For this episode, we explore the growing cycling culture in China with guest Ken Go, founder of Shanghai-based Ride Now Cycle Club. Welcome to the China Travel Podcast. My name is Zhang Mei, and every week we venture to a different location in China with a special guest. When we say a destination, it can really be a village, a town, or sometimes simply a way of life. And today, we are headed to Shanghai to talk about a passion. One might even say a lifestyle. It is actually a lifestyle that can be seen around the globe cycling. But in China, this was generally mostly viewed as transportation. So we'll talk about the change there as well. And with me today, I have. Ken Go, a Singapore native who now lives and works, of course, and cycles in Shanghai and all over China and the rest of Asia, actually the rest of the world. And his past career roles have covered a, quite a range from chef, model, fitness coach, and finally a photographer. So his passion for cycling has really taken him on a very clear-cut path, though, one that led him to found Right Now Cycle Club, a community based out of Shanghai. So Ken, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad we finally are able to connect. So before we, we got started, I had a little bit of time. I was cruising around the web and reading up about you. And of course, there was this WeChat account that talked, it's in Chinese, that's basically told us the origin story. And I'll translate a little bit, paraphrasing here. It says, Ken first fell in love with cycling as a child on the backseat of his grandmother's bicycle. He would sit there on the back of her bike and every morning and go to the market and buy food and they travel. They would chat and look at the scenery passing by. I just, I love that scene. It just, it reminds me of so much of the of my own childhood growing up in Yunnan, right? And then also the bonding with elderly grandparents and all that sort of charm of old China. So I want to take it from there. Tell us, tell us from that scene how you came to found this club and really making <laughs> cycling your career. Okay. Um, let me introduce myself. I'm Ken from Singapore. I've been in, in Shanghai for 16 years. So um, how the, from back to the story, right? Uh, in the beginning, I mean, I, I used to live in a village in Singapore. That that time we called it Kampong. Is there Kampong. a village in Singapore? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I lived right office. next to that. <laughs> uh, before the 1988, where we moved out from the village, where our village was right next to the Singapore Zoo now. So mm. now it's been a military base where we go for like a range, like rifle practice. So mm. back in the days, the main mode of transport was the bicycle or the motorcycle. So my, my dad rides the motorcycle, my, my grandma rides the bicycle, and every day there's the commute. We have a lot of chat. And, you know, I'm the first grandson. Um, you know, I'm the, like the pride of the family. So, mm. so always, you know, we have so a lot sweet. of... Um, 
a lot of verbal uh, communication exchange along the way. So as as I grew up, the first, you know, from walking to starting to run, when you start to learn how to ride a bicycle, you feel like Superman. You could go anywhere. You can go everywhere fast. You know, you meet friends and everyone that sees you cycle will, will be attracted to talk to you. So that wow. was, you know, like the, my, my, my growing up. And then from then all the way till, you know, after university and then working, it's sort of, there's a gap where bicycle is out of our lifestyle, you know. The, the transportation takes over, you know, tr- uh, a train, airplane, and bus and cars. So we forgot about this. So back in 2015 to 2018, I've been um, since since 2005. I was a photographer, all the way till till now. So during the 10 years of shooting, I kind of got a little bit lost in direction. So I, I wanted to refresh, mm. and so I took a sabbatical of three years between 2015 all the way till 2018, I started to cycle and I realized that, hey, you know, the cycling actually brings me back to living in now. And then, Mm. you know, refresh my memory of, you know, back in the days when it brought so much joy that money and work cannot bring back. So when Mm. when I started cycling and starting to explore more and more of China, I I feel that there's this, this living in the moment Going out and 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 see so much more. That's more than just doing being in the red race. The joy and for the mind and the body. I felt that maybe one day this could help a lot more people. So as I cycle, I feel that there's a need for this community. And I, along the way, I see more and more people are embracing this kind of lifestyle. And it, it it sort of inspired me to maybe, you know, I should. It's a calling that I should help. So in 2015, mm. I started the club where there's more structure. And then I was in Australia where I saw how cycling lifestyle and the, and the club activities were very rampant. And you see a lot of people all over the streets on, on the weekends and, and they were very exciting. And, and everyone's like, very, you know, the community is very, very cohesive. So mm. um, then I saw in Singapore and in other parts of the world where there's a structure where people actually ride in larger groups and uh, I needed to adapt this kind of uh, the, the, the regulations and stuff into China where China in the past you know, has been like cycling kingdom of the world, bicycle kingdom, but it's never a lifestyle, it's a mode of transport. So I, I felt that maybe if I could adapt some of the lifestyle element of that, the coffee culture, the beer culture, you know, the, the, the cycling, the, 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 the community, I feel maybe this, this could bring the base to a bigger become a platform, you know, from, from dots to a line. I, yeah. I hear you. I, I actually, it sounds like cycling is only part of it. It's the drinking and eating that's <laughs> also an important part of it. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it's interesting because I, I grew up in China in, in the 70s. And obviously, a lot of the early images people have of China from the 60s all the way up to the 90s, as you were mentioning, right? It was all these bikes stopped at the red light, you know, mountains or sea of bikes behind the red light. And that China pretty much has disappeared, right? Even though Mm -hmm. I I think it was way back, you know, the flying pigeon was even given by the head of states as presence and all that. How, How, since you've been in China for 16 years, how have you, well, how has the culture changed? Describe to us like what, what you are witnessing, the bicycle culture's change. Uh, when, when I first arrived, there was still 
you know, like uh, bicycles all over the place and, you know, the, the roads infrastructure, most of the roads are not ready for, for bicycles. Right, so you mean for 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 cycling as a sport? For cycling, yes, for cycling as a sport, and even for commute, because they do not have dedicated bike lanes in the beginning, and then mm. as the the usage of bicycle expanded over the past few years, again, because at one point people starting to, uh, started to to drive or motorcycle more than they would take their own bicycle, and then uh, since two thousand and 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 fifteen, they're about. You know the rise of mobile, uh, Hello Tanta, and, and you know like all all the rest, uh, uh, Ofo, and all the shared bikes that increase a lot of interest in in cycling as a commute uh, instead of just taking public transport, right? So that you, that but, was yeah. Hmm. Let's let's explain a little bit to the, the audience who are listening okay. to this. What you were referring to were the sh- shared bikes, sort of like Uber. For bikes, yes, right? yes, Uber for bicycles, yeah. So and, so and that mm-hmm. that, that increased uh, a lot of uh, you know people started to ride the bicycle more more as a commute than uh, a lifestyle, and it's also increasing uh, the awareness for you know like zero carbon emission, trying to do a little bit for for the environment. So um, a lot of young people started to ride the bicycle, inst- you know, because they have very limited time for workout. So even the little 15-minute commute is a part of their workout per day. So mm. that, 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 that was uh, something that, uh, in a way, is good because it forced the government to also start to adapt for greater mass you know, usage of uh, bicycle lanes. And they expanded a lot of like, bicycle parks, uh, bicycle paths for, for commute purpose. That, that was really good. That created uh, improvement in the public infrastructure. But mm-hmm. uh, on the other hand, it also created a lot of nuisance because, you know, that they wanted to have a lot of show, like a lot of bicycles all over the place. And you can see the roads at one point were f- like filled up with a lot of bikes and they were all like not very well taken care of. So that's that's something that that is always improving and changing. It's adapting. So, yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's, that's something but, that I've but observed. Then- when did the the biking as a sport or a cycling hobby yeah. come in? Okay, so when we were starting to form the Bicycle Club, Right Now Cycle Club in 2015, the community was very elitist. It's really very small, like probably less than 100 people who were cycling competitively. Not many people would cycle as, a, as an exploration, adventure, as a mode of travel. Okay, so when we started back then, uh, we, we saw that that's the difference between the expat community and the Chinese community in terms of cycling. Most of the Chinese will be cycling at night because they have uh, earlier work hours. And then they would rather cycle more at night where after that they will go for beer and supper, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, the foreigners um, uh, segment will want to do it more for fitness, where they would ride to improve their fitness. So in general, when we increase the, the, the base of, you know, like the foreigner uh, cyclists in, in China, uh, it showed the Chinese that there is actually, you know, something that's practiced elsewhere in the world. It's actually being uh, brought and adapted into Chinese context. And people can do it in the morning at 5 a.m. or 5.30 in the morning where we have less traffic and we can ride faster. Uh, we can have a breakfast, a good workout breakfast, and then start our day. 
So um, in the beginning was a little bit, uh, the group was small. It's like 20, 30 people riding with us. And then it has grown up to, at one point, we had 100 people in the morning riding with us. So wow, yeah, that, that showed uh, through social media as well and, and pictures and our groups that this is feasible. And then we get to see like Chinese slowly migrating over and, and, and riding in the mm-hmm. morning instead of the nighttime. Yeah, so mm-hmm. especially the, since COVID, the past two years, the mm. demand for cycling is it's it's like off the charts. Bicycle mm-hmm. parts are all out of stock. Bicycles are all sold out. Pre-orders are made way way till like 2023. So everyone's like into cycling. Wow. So yeah. I, I just want to clarify when you said uh, at the founding time around mm-hmm. 2015, it was an elite group. We're talking about the 100 people in your club, or you were talking about sort of like the general Shanghai cycling population. General cycling population in, in, in no. Shanghai was, was really, really very small because uh, those who, I mean, if you talk about commute, commute cyclists versus uh, cyclists as a lifestyle of sports, it's different because some people ride like once a month, you know, or ride mm. for commute 15 minutes. That, that we do not consider them into something that's a lifestyle, right? So mm-hmm. a lifestyle means you ride at least two hours, one or two hours each time and three to three, two to three times a, a, a week, then those are regulars that, you know, it's, it's part of their lifestyle. It's part of like working out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so do, so do this, you... this population is increasing a lot now. Specifically because China is such a bicycle nation to turn from a bicycle nation to a small cycling mm. community that, that, that is a, sort of a little difficult to to <laughs> wrap my mind around it. Yeah. Now, here's the golden question that I get asked and I want to ask you. When while well, you have the French Alps and Tuscany mm-hmm. to choose from, mm-hmm. why go biking in China? So, um, to to be able to ride in the Alps, you must have a certain level of fitness. That's one thing, right? So, uh, but it's a, I, mean, I mean, every every context, every country has its beauty. Uh, besides, you know, even just climbing for, for Alps, it's all about climbing and fitness and uh, the landscapes. And then going up to the peak and seeing, you know, the horizon and everything is beautiful. But in the city, it's a little bit different. You have a little bit of challenges, you know, obstacles with the scooters. And then there are a lot of lanes where you go in. You know, I always often take friends and, and even my kids going around the lanes where I'm local, I go into like the Nongtang and you visit the people, their way of life. Everything is very compact. So instead of riding 100 kilometers, you have 20 kilometers of very intense going in between the maze of, of Shanghai's Nongtang, visiting the cultural aspects of it, the, 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 the concessions, you know, the French concession, German concession, British concession. There's a lot of like architectural differences, the cafes, the little pubs, the shops. I think these these are like details and you know of the the society fabric that you need to explore. And every city, every culture is very unique, very different. So I've gone to like in uh, within China, you know, you we have like we've gone to Yunnan, we have gone I've gone to Tibet multiple times, you know, go to Sichuan multiple times. These are places that, you know, within an arm's reach, if you're in China, you got to go. Mm, yeah. Mm. So, so what you're describing are, are 
both aspects I love, mm-hmm. you know, very different parts of China yes. that people don't generally think, you know, th- that, that it's so diverse. There's this very urban Shanghai, it's bustling, busy, and the vast open West. Yeah. Even like you know, through the deserts in the northwest, it, that's right. Stunning scenery, right? That's right. So I want to steer the conversation a little bit towards the technical part, in case people are thinking about it. Because for me okay. personally, that would be a question, right? Let's start with the basics: equipment. Mm-hmm. Do you encourage cyclists to bring their own bikes to China? Or I know there are all, the, all these you know Uber type of bikes everywhere, but those are. Not for climbing the Alps. No. Yeah. What What do you do? Like, oh, there are these brands like Giants in China that mm-hmm. cost you a hundred dollars to buy and that sort of thing, but nothing like the ten thousand dollar racing yeah. bikes. Yeah. What do you suggest? Uh, for anyone that's interested in cycling in China, advice for them to to bring their own bikes and have you know because for. Bikes is like a, a tailored suit. You need to be able to ride and feel comfortable in it. Instead of riding in someone else's bike or or a rental bike, most of the rental bikes that you have in China they are mountain bikes. They are not very suitable for for road cycling, and they are actually、mm. very slow, right? And、uh, the maintenance of it is not that good. So you you know your bike best. So most of our customers that go with us to Tibet and 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 you know the rest of parts of China, they bring their own bikes, and we have a、uh, bike packing. You know we have a mechanic service on on the road. And we have travel support, so if there's any any emergencies or, or mechanical problems, we can fix it on the road. Because it's like forty, sixty by one twenty, so that that size limit is okay for you to check in without、uh, too much additional cost. Forty, sixty, what measurements? One twenty, forty, sixty, one twenty centimeters. Centimeters, okay.、Yeah. And is there an issue at the customs? Do they charge you for import tariff? Uh no, for most of the airlines, they would probably charge you for oversized luggage. Uh, because it's it's definitely within the the weight limit, depending on on you know how much you you put in into the check in. So some of the VIP customers, they they have like travel miles. They basically can go up to forty kilos, but uh, with even with twenty five, we are fine. Hmm.、Mm. Yeah, because the bikes but, but, but are very the, customs, the bikes are very、oh, okay. The customs are okay because it's uh your own use and it's not a brand new bike. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very helpful. What about,、yeah. say, spare parts? You were mentioning, like, can you f- buy the same sort of bikes in China? Most same sort of spare parts in China? Yeah, you you can get、uh, in China. Basically,、uh, we we are the largest. I mean, China is the largest importer for a lot of the bicycle parts. Most of the manufacturers would send the majority of their stuff over here because they clear out faster than anywhere else. So China is importing a lot, a lot of group sets like、uh, bicycle components as well as、uh, bicycle frames. In the past two years, everything is out of stock. So we have、uh, stock for components easily, readily in China. Any parts, any bicycle. Wow. Okay. So、yeah. they really just have to know you. <laughs> If you know Ken, <laughs> you'll be fine. Yeah. They'll yeah. be fine. We've actually run biking tours before as a tour operator.、Uh, mm-hmm. That you have to have a guide as a biking leader. Yeah. And then we have a support vehicle with a leisure travel guide to、yes. run around and do all the logistics. How do you、yeah. do that?、Uh, we we have the same thing. So usually for us, we have 
one because in, in China you cannot mix uh, uh, goods. Bicycles considered goods, right? So goods and personnel cannot be mixed in a bus. Mm-hmm. So uh, passenger in a bus, we have one vehicle that is specifically for the bikes, and then another one for uh, safety. So if the group is not too big, up to say twenty. We will mm-hmm. usually have three vehicles. One one vehicle will be the safety running up and down with the road manager, and uh, one will be the guide in the bus where they will just uh, at a rest stop where you have all your day packs and your food and logistics. Everything is inside, and then we have the uh, bicycle transport where you know the mechanic and uh, the driver will all be there. So we have all the loading and unloading done from that that vehicle. Yeah. So usually, wow. Three. Yeah. And uh, bicycle guides, we will have a ratio of uh, maximum of one is to 10. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. if anyone's falling behind, you always have someone to, to sweep That's up right. the, the rear. That's right. And uh, what, what we do, because not everyone's fitness is the same. So um, there are more ambitious riders. And uh, we, we try to categorize the ride by the level of difficulty So from the beginning so that those who are interested will know that there's a specific requirement, a certain amount of kilometers a day. They, they would have their own uh, fair share of rides. right? And then um, for the those who are in the middle, sometimes uh, you may overestimate your capabilities. So some people some people may not be able to do a multi-day 120-kilometer ride. They may say, okay, I, I may not be able to do that today. So what we do is we do a leapfrog. We, we'll drop them off. Uh, say we start off at point C and you need to ride to point A. right? Instead of dropping you from point C and picking you up at point B, we drop you off at point B for you to ride to point A. So you actually skip the first 50 kilometers from the guys who are riding the full range. So you complete at the same time. Oh, that's very nice. That's very considerate. Yeah, because yeah. not be able to finish the, the day, you, you'll feel like... <laughs> so you'd rather, be, from a mental um, sort of happiness standpoint, yes. it's better to to cut off some in the beginning, but finish up strong, finish together. Yes. Being picked up, you feel like, I did not finish. It's not good. <laughs> I'm, I'm a loser. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right, that's right. Tell me about your favorite routes. Wow. Um, I, I love Tibet a lot. Tibet. Uh, Those are so hard though. Too high. No, but but actually um, I've, I've done, I've ridden uh, through Tibet six times. And out of the six times, I've tried starting from different parts of Tibet. And the beginning, the first time I did was uh, I landed in Lhasa, which was the biggest mistake because Lhasa is 3,600 to 3,900 meters. Yeah. So the moment I land, uh, half of my crew were, were affected by altitude sickness. So they were vomiting, face turning pale, and they were like out of breath. Uh, I, I was okay, but, you know, just having headache. But we were lucky that one of our members was uh, the, first, the first pioneer group that went out to do the exploration. We were lucky to have a doctor with us. So the doctor advised on what kind of medication to take, and he was also riding a lot. So... We, we shared a lot of uh, ideas of how to improve the, the trip. So John Bell was the doctor. He, he's now back in Germany. And he, he helped me with uh, a lot of the logistics planning as well. Mm. And then uh, subsequently, we landed in uh, Lingqi Airport. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is uh, around 
under 3,000, it's 2,600, 2,800. That, that, much that better. Much, much better. You don't, you don't have that much of a altitude sickness, but you do get headaches, uh, lightheaded, mm. because the oxygen level is lower. But because Lingzhi is lower, there are a lot of trees. So it's the most oxygen-rich part of uh, Tibet. So we started mm. from there, and then we climatized over three days of riding. And it's actually doable, because as long as you are on the bike riding, you don't get headaches. As long as your blood circulation is going on and your heart rate is relatively on a, on a higher level than just uh, not moving, you, your heart rate is stable. Mm. Just, just yeah. for, for our audience from the United mm-hmm. States, we're talking about Linji is about 7,500 feet in elevation yeah, yeah, and Lhasa yeah. is more than 10,000, um, yeah. more like closer to 12,000 right. feet, which is quite a bit. Yes. It's like Cusco in, in, in Peru. Yes. So it, it's hard. And when you say six times, did you ever cover from, say, the lower altitude area, like from Yunnan all the way to Lhasa? Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not possible for cross-border between the, the three plates from Qinghai, right. from, from, uh, from Chengdu or from Yunnan. You are not able to cross as a foreigner. But apparently, the past uh, last year or earlier this year, they they are able to release the permits to do that travel to ride across. So that's mm. that's something that I'm, I'm very keen to explore. But the the mm-hmm. permit application takes about maybe a month or up to two months. Mm. Yeah, 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 it will take a while. Uh, how long are these journeys? Um, to ride across Tibet, not not across like halfway because uh, uh, Everest is in the middle. To ride that that distance, uh, we're looking around 700 kilometers on bike, and uh, a 12 day journey is ideal. 12 to 14 so, days. So you go from Lingzhi all the way to Everest Base Camp. Yes. Oh, no. Lingzhi, Shannan, and then down to uh, Yanghu, and then go to Jiangzi, and down to Base Camp. That I cannot yeah. <laughs> imagine that climb. Base yeah. Camp is. 5,000 meters in elevation Yes. minimum. <laughs> so th- that is insane. That's 15,000 more feet. Yes. yes. Steady climb. Steady climb. So that there's yeah. the, the hardest climb, I think, uh, before, before base camp uh, is actually the Gatsola Pass. The Gatsola Pass is 5,260 5, or 5,240 meters. Mm. And mm-hmm. when you're up there, there are no trees, there's nothing. So, so you, you'll be fighting against the wind when you're riding up the, the, the pass. So scary up there. <laughs> I remember getting there in a Jeep and yeah. feeling completely headache and all the altitude sickness. Hats off to you. Hats off to you. Yeah. So how do you handle sort of biking safety or road etiquette in China in those areas? Uh, in China, actually, um, the traffic rule is already revised many, many times, and now it is very. Uh, it protects the, the the cyclists and the vulnerable, the, the, the more vulnerable it, groups yeah, are protected they, they, more. They are protected yeah. more. So, if any accidents happen, the cars or bus or anyone is hundred percent responsible. So, at the moment, I think that risk is much lesser than it was t- ten years ago. Although there are still reckless driving anywhere in the world, that there, there, there are reckless drivers, there yeah. are you know like aggressive drivers, they're they're everywhere in the world. So we we I mean mm-hmm. China is is already 
I think they're, they're much safer than, than uh, mm. I would say in Singapore, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Mm. <laughs> what about fueling on the road? Um, uh, food. Fuel. Okay, food. Uh, usually for, let's say, on, on long trips, we our vehicles will have uh, bananas and all the uh, and coffee and energy gels and bars for, for replenishment every hour or so. So every hour that you ride, you can bring your food or you continue to ride or you can pause and, and eat a little bit. Yeah. So, so you do have this, the typical like gel and those sort of packs as yes, snacks yes. along the way. Yes. What about lunches we, we and dinners that. when you stop? Okay, so so most of our most of our trips, unless it is uh, we end at the top of the the pass, we bring uh, the local food. So we have sometimes uh, we we pack some of the Nepalese or uh, Tibetan meal that we eat at the peak, or worst case, uh, instant noodles. <laughs> but worst case would be in, instant noodles. Then when we end the day, we usually have a very big meal, which includes a lot of beer too. <laughs> But in China, generally speaking, the food is so good. Yeah, yeah. that sounds great. And the more you move into the inner parts of Tibet, there, there are a lot of options, you know, from Sichuan to Nepalese to Indian food, you know, to, to local Tibetan food. There, there's a lot of choice. What about lodging on the way? Uh, particularly in places like Tibet, the distances mm-hmm. between villages are, are far, yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. So in the smaller village... I, I would not even consider like hotels. Like, I mean, they're, they're more like, like two-star, three-star level, maybe lower, home ins, right? Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. those are the logistics that we have to put up with when we are in the lesser place. But it's already much better than camping outside. But you do get hot showers, you get uh, hot meals, uh, you get breakfast, right? Mm-hmm. Then only when we get into the big cities like Ningzi and, and Lhasa, we was put up in uh, San Regis or, or, or Shangri-La Hotel. Where you know mm. it's like a reward that after a few days suddenly you know you move from very very under-equipped places to suddenly something that you have everything you you need and even Western food and sometimes I, I treat them to yak burger. Mao niu han bao. You're like you earned the right to a burger. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So so you bring them, you know, through the ups and downs of the trip uh, every bit. You earn your 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 points and you earn your meal. So that's that's something mm-hmm. that's very nice. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And yeah. for those outside of China, thinking of cycling in Tibet, it can be very daunting. Yes. What about other locations? Any of your favorite paths or routes that you'd recommend people to start? Okay, so for trips um, that are you know for the more advanced. Tibet is definitely for the more advanced. Mm-hmm. If you're not not going for that all out uh, and many days. So there are, there are also short trips like around Shanghai. There are many places that are very nice like Suming San in Ningbo down south. And then to the to the west, there is uh, Anji. Anji is beautiful because it, it's like the bamboo, a lot of bamboo forests and uh, a lot of very nice local cuisines as well as tea. And then as you move further out to Anhui, we also have a lot of very nice homestays. So those, those are, those are the, the, the few places that I would recommend around Shanghai. So you can have a cosmopolitan urban landscape when you arrive as an international airport. And then going out to the west or the south for a, a weekend. So um, you can have like going on Friday, coming back on Sunday. It's fair enough. Very nice. Mm. Yeah. You haven't mentioned 
my mm. home province of Yunnan. Oh yeah, Yunnan. Right. Yes. You, you know, around Dali, around Arhai, they actually yes. uh, have built these long stretches of paths. Yes. Yes. We we ride across that. Uh, we ride around that in uh, December last year. So we went all oh, the way good. from yeah, we went from uh, uh, Lijiang all the way the up to, uh, no, from from Dali. Yeah, from Dali we rode all the way up to uh, Shangri La and then back to Lijiang. Mm, yeah. yeah. Oh, that, that's, that that's is very just, nice. Yeah. yeah, China basically there are a few places like if you go to Shanghai, this is the part, and then Beijing. There's also the 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 satellite, you know, places that you can ride to, and then Yunnan is gorgeous. You can ride even on the border, you know, to Myanmar, and you can you know, that's just it's across. So beautiful. Yeah, and then up to uh, uh, Chengdu, Chengdu to the big uh, Sichuan Loop is very nice. Mm. Yeah. When you, do you have any recommendations? Are, are there like books or websites with more of such information? Um, at the moment, that, that was something that I have difficulty uh, trying to find in the beginning because when I started in 2015, one of my, my motivation as I, as I start to write and explore places before mapping, you know, mapping softwares were, were being uh, introduced, I was writing out most of the places myself. You know, and I realized that there are a lot of places that are not covered in books. At the moment, there isn't a lot of information about cycling in China. Mm, that that yeah. is still a challenge. And yes. which actually, I want to clarify when you said a lot of these information or the local rights and all that is readily available. That's given you have the language, right? Yes, yes, yes. It, it is still uh, a very Chinese language centric destination. That if you don't have the language. It is a challenging destination to self-organize a biking trip. Yes, yes, right? uh, extremely difficult, especially the the past few years, since um, you know most of the hotels are split into whether they have the ability to receive foreign guests versus non-foreign guests. Right, so some hotels that you find along the way, and you it's not as easy as oh, I want to just ride to a destination wherever I see a hotel, I check in. You can't. You need to be able to check in advance if they have the ability or the criteria to house foreign guests. Mm, yeah, that is yeah. one thing to check. And also, I'm curious, on your trips, is there opportunity to mingle with other Chinese riders or is it more exclusively expat-driven? Ah, okay, um, the group that travels with us, 90% are expats. And you have local Chinese riders, sometimes local Chinese guides with us. And when we go to destination, uh, I usually have a lot of cycling friends there as well who are locals. So they will take us to the uh, bonus routes that are not within our itinerary, but those who want to you know, explore more, they can join in. So we usually leave a half a day or one day extra from sightseeing. We can go out and ride with them and, and check out their, their local tea house or you know, like go to their favorite spots and challenge who goes up the fastest you know, and, and things like that. I would be the last one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious, Peloton bikes, is that uh, very popular in China now? No. Among no. your cycling friends? Um, not, not at none all. Of them, uh -huh. none, none of them uh, ride the Peloton bikes in, in China. They are mostly on, uh, there's, a, there's a local brand called Majin that sells the How do you trainer. spell that? M-A-G-E-N-E. Mm. Yeah, Majin. So they are a local startup that, 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 that is invested by um, Wahoo to make bicycle trainers. So most of the cyclists that are, are in the lifestyle, they will already have bicycles, right? So they take uh, their bicycles and put it on the trainer as a simulation to mm -hmm. 
to climbing and, and, and they have uh, training programs that you, we can adapt to different platforms like Zwift, uh, Trainer Road, Fugas, you know, all, all that all that different softwares that uh, most of the cyclists would, would, would have in their phones. So they can complement their road cycling when bad weather or when it's too cold or in Shanghai, for example, when it, the air quality is too bad, they will train indoors mm. as a complementary mm-hmm. to their, their daily cycling. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm mm. curious I, how long it will take for Peloton to penetrate that market or yeah. for a China Peloton equivalent yes. to dominate the market. They they already actually they they have similar uh, like Keep. There's a mm-hmm. there's a there's a brand called Keep that has like a multitude of of exercise activities from from yoga to to running to you know like the the, the stationary bike that they sell in China and the user database is also quite big. So they have not have a crossover yet between Peloton and 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 Keep in China. Mm-hmm. Mm. Very I interesting. I photographed for them earlier this year, so I yeah I know for key. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Well, yeah. great. Actually, talking about photograph for anyone who wants to see these inspiring, stunning pictures that Ken took, you can follow Ken on Instagram. It's right now dot Ken. Right. Thank you. Yes. And also visit for these amazing trips to Tibet and other parts of China. The website is www.rightnow.cc. C as in Canada. Right. That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ken. It's uh, really uh, interesting talking to you. I learned a lot about cycling in China. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Everybody take care. Till next time. China Travel Podcast is produced by Wild China Travel and hosted by Wild China founder, Mei Zhang. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love to hear from you and would greatly appreciate a rating or a review. For updates and notifications on future podcasts, we encourage you to subscribe to the China Travel Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to stay connected with us, please visit our website, wildchina.com, follow us on social media at Wild China Travel, or add us on WeChat at wildchina underscore journeys.